The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. This was a crazy story I first heard about recently, but it took place in 2015. When I tell you this whole story made me so mad and at some points just seemed unbelievable. I wanted to scream a couple times. My sources are listed in the description area of the video. This is the case of Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn. The story takes place in 2015. Let's go over what was going on around that time. Hillary Clinton announced she would be running for president in 2016. David Letterman hosted The Late Show with David Letterman for the last time. A gallon of milk cost $3.42. Avocado toast and iced lattes were in the top most popular foods. And lastly, marijuana became legal in Washington, D.C. Snoop Dogg would famously smoke a blunt on the White House lawn, and it was perfectly legal. Aaron Quinn was a young physical therapist. He had recently purchased a nice home in Vallejo, California for he and his fiance. And you can actually see that uh, home on your screen right now on the left-hand side. And he, so he had been engaged to this woman and he found out that she had been cheating on him. So they ended their engagement and she moved out of the house. Aaron meets another physical therapist named Denise Huskins. He was very attracted to her, but he felt kind of strange since he had just gotten out of this relationship with his ex-fiance and it ended abruptly and on bad terms. He's not really ready to begin another relationship. But he and Denise hit it off. Denise is 29 years old and Aaron is 30. In February of 2015, Denise discovers some text messages on Aaron's cell phone. They were written to the woman who was his ex-fiance, and in the text messages, he had said that he wanted to get back together with her. Denise is devastated and needs some time apart from Aaron for a few weeks. They still kept in touch, but basically, he screwed up big time, and he's going to have to earn her trust again. On March 22, 2015, Denise and Aaron decide to meet up at Aaron's house, and they're going to talk about their relationship and what they need to do to rebuild trust. They ordered pizza and had a long discussion. They both wanted to continue their relationship. They finish up their conversation and head to bed around midnight. Denise didn't know it at the time, and neither did Aaron, but this night was going to get bad. They fell asleep, and at 3 o'clock a.m., they are woken by bright flashlights and a red laser pointer. They both hear a man's voice saying, wake up, this is a robbery. We're not here to hurt you. Aaron is sitting up in bed frozen, and the man tells Denise to take these zip ties and put them on Aaron's feet and then zip tie his hands behind his back. Then he tells Denise to walk into the bedroom closet. Denise said she noticed other another pair of feet in the bedroom. Remember, they're being blinded with these flashlights, so she's trying to figure out how many of these men there are. This is where the story starts to get weird. The man was wearing an all-black scuba diving suit. He ties Denise up in the closet and then drags Aaron over to the closet and puts him in there with her. 
He puts these swimming goggles on them and they are blacked out with duct tape so you can't see out of them. He then puts a set of headphones on Aaron and Denise and the headphones are playing these pre-recorded messages. Aaron said on his, it referred to him by his name, Aaron Quinn. He knew then that these robbers had done their homework and that they knew who he was and everything. Their messages tell them that they will be given a sedative. If they refuse, the sedative will be injected intravenously. Suddenly, the intruder starts asking Aaron questions, like personal questions. And then he asks him, does this woman and your ex-fiance look a lot alike? Aaron says, yes, they both have long blonde hair. Now the intruder is pissed off. He says they got the wrong intel and this was supposed to be Aaron and his ex-fiance, not this new woman, Denise. You can tell by now this man or men are most likely sophisticated robbers. They had info about Aaron and his ex-girlfriend. Well, she had just moved out of the house recently and gotten all of her belongings out of there. They must have been spying for a while because the night they hit the house was the night Denise was there. They thought it was this other woman, though. Denise is like, okay, well, since there's some kind of misunderstanding here, can you release us and just go away? The intruder says no and explains what will happen next. He said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take you, Denise, for 48 hours. Aaron's going to have to complete some tasks. They bring Aaron downstairs and set him in his living room on the couch. There was red tape marked around the living room floor. Aaron is told that he has to stay in the perimeter of this red tape once they leave. They place an indoor camera on him and say they will be monitoring his every move and every word. If he screws up, they will kill Denise. They tie his feet with duct tape. Aaron says he's cold and he asks for a blanket and the man says, oh, I didn't realize it's cold in here since we're all wearing these wetsuits. And he gave Aaron a blanket. The intruder told Aaron they were going to communicate with him via text and email, and they'd even created an email address for the communication. Aaron said he was told to call out sick at his job and to text Denise's boss that she had a family emergency and would be out for a week. He was also told he would have to withdraw money from his bank and that they'd have a camera, camera monitoring his moves. The intruder picks up Denise and carries her outside to Aaron's car where he places her in the trunk. He then drives away in Aaron's car. The man was gone and Aaron is alone in the house. He was able to get the goggles off his head so he can finally see. He's trying to stay awake. He can't call police because they are watching him on camera and will kill Denise if there's one wrong move. The sedative Aaron was giving was starting to kick in, and at 5 o'clock a.m., he's not able to fight it any longer, and he falls asleep. He awakens, and he's groggy and still under the influence of the sedative, but he's able to call out sick for him and Denise, just like the kidnappers said to do. He falls back asleep until 11.30 a.m. He wakes up, and he's got text messages and emails from the kidnappers. They're demanding two payments of $8,500 each. Aaron responds back, but doesn't get a response from them, so he's beginning to worry and panic is setting in. Aaron can't call 911 because he's being monitored on the camera. Now, Aaron's older brother is an FBI agent, so he thinks it's safer to call him instead. His older brother tells him, no, you need to call the police. Aaron is reluctant to do that because he doesn't want them to kill Denise, but he calls the police. Remember, it's been about nine hours since Denise was taken. 
The Vallejo police arrive, and the first question they ask Aaron is, are you on drugs? Aaron says, yes, I'm on drugs. The kidnappers gave me something that knocked me out for hours. I tried to fight it, but I kept falling asleep. Then they walk over and unplug the camera. The police question Aaron about what he had been doing during the time his girlfriend was taken and calling the police. He explains everything I just told you. They ask him if he's been partying. Aaron's like, what the fuck are you talking about? One of the cops points to some empty beer bottles that were sitting neatly in a box next to the trash can. Aaron's like, yeah, they're for recycling. Now can we find my girlfriend who's been kidnapped? The man threw her in the trunk of my car and left. The officers are looking around and not really saying anything. They tell Aaron they're going to need to bring him into the station for a formal statement about what happened, and Aaron complies. He gets there and he's told he has to hand over his cell phone. Well, this was the direct line to the kidnappers. Aaron feels good about this because the professionals would be monitoring this and they'll be able to get her back. Aaron is then told he has to change his clothes, and they bring him a white shirt and black and white striped pants. He knows this is a jail uniform, and he's confused. He gives blood samples and DNA samples. The detective that sat and interrogated him, his name is Matthew Mustard. Y'all are going to love Detective Mustard, and I mean that with utmost sarcasm. (laughs) You can see the still video footage on your screen of Aaron and Detective Mustard. Aaron tells him everything that happened start to finish, basically everything I've told you up until this far. They were awoken by flashlights and a red laser. They had to wear goggles and headphones. They were drugged. Denise was kidnapped. Detective Mustard listens, and then he responds with, Are you guys having any kind of issues in your relationship? Have you been cheating on your girlfriend, Mr. Quinn? Aaron's like, no. Well, yes. I mean, she found some text messages to my ex, and everything's fine now, and we worked it out, and we've moved on. Well, this isn't looking good for Aaron. Detective Mustard tells Aaron, I don't think you're being truthful, and I don't think anybody came into your house. I'm not buying your story at all. At this point, they think Aaron killed Denise. They say they found a small blood stain on his sheet about the size of a quarter. Aaron said the blood stain is old and the sheets have been washed multiple times since then. He just can't get the stain out. Aaron's parents and his brother, who again is an FBI agent, arrive at the police station and they are all questioned as well. They ask if Aaron has been into drugs. Does he ever get angry and lash out? They say no, he's not like that at all. He's a great person and a a successful doctor. Aaron is continuing to be interrogated by Detective Mustard. He asks Aaron, did you get into a fight and push her down the stairs? Maybe you guys were doing some weird sex thing and it just went wrong. You need to come clean, Aaron. Tell us what you did with Denise. I watched a good bit of the interrogation tape and it was difficult to watch because Aaron is full on panicking. He's crying and saying he didn't hurt her and he is a victim too. He's rocking back and forth, and this detective is just trying to get him to confess something that Aaron says he didn't do anything wrong. They call Denise's parents and say something terrible may have happened to your daughter, so Denise's parents come to Vallejo right away. Aaron was interrogated by Detective Mustard for 18 hours. He stood by his story of exactly what happened. Most people who are guilty confess within a few hours of being questioned. Well, this has been 18 hours. Aaron says he began to question his own sanity at that point. He thinks to himself, did I black out and do something crazy? This detective is convinced I killed Denise and why? 
Detective Mustard tells Aaron, do you remember the Scott Peterson case? Do you remember how he killed his wife and he was the most hated man in America? Well, that's going to be you next. You need to come clean. A search team and the FBI involved are out doing a search for a body. Aaron's brother retains a lawyer for him named Dan Russo. Mr. Russo tells Aaron, look, this is going to be a nightmare and there's no way you're going to be able to pinch yourself and wake up. He asks Aaron, did you really do it? You have to tell me the truth. If you did it, we'll take it in this direction. If you didn't do it, we'll take the case in this other direction. Aaron says he is 100% innocent and he is a victim. This is only one day after Denise was kidnapped. The San Francisco Chronicle, which is a media team, received a recording that was called A Proof of Life. It's basically an audio clip of Denise talking so the kidnappers could let everyone know she's still alive. If people thought she was dead, they wouldn't get, her, get their money. The proof of life recording said, I am Denise Huskins. I am alive. She said her first concert was Blink-182, so her family would know it was her. She also talked about a plane crash that happened that morning in the Alps that was on the news. This lets people know it's not an old clip. It's from today. Denise's father says this voice 100% is indeed his daughter's voice. Now the police are like, oh, okay, well, maybe Aaron isn't a murderer. Maybe she really was kidnapped. So they get Aaron's phone and discover that this whole time it had been on airplane mode. The police put phones on airplane mode whenever they bring a suspect in or whatever, just so their phone isn't going off. Um, so airplane mode makes it to where no calls or texts will come through. Aaron freaks out because how many calls or texts did they miss from the kidnapper? Missed calls, notifications pop up, as well as a ton of text messages when the phone's airplane mode is turned off. Police trace the number to a prepaid wireless burner phone purchased three weeks earlier at the Pleasant Hill Target. Target gave the FBI a photo of the buyer who was a light-skinned male with dark hair and medium build. Well, Aaron is a light-skinned male with dark hair and medium build. So the police think, yep, that's him, that there can't be any other man in this world with, you know, brown hair and a medium build. On March 25th, 2015, this is two days after Denise was kidnapped. Denise is freed. She is dropped off in Huntington Beach, California, which is 400 miles from Aaron's house where she was taken. She is taken out of the trunk and she is given two bags the kidnappers had packed for her at her house. She is still under sedation, so she's very groggy. He tells her to count to 10 and he drives off. She takes off the duct tape off her eyes and can see that she is in an alley. She sees the first street sign, which is Utica Street, which is the street that she grew up on. She walks to her mother's house and no one is home. Remember, her mom and dad are in Vallejo with Aaron. Denise borrows a cell phone from the first person she sees and calls her dad. It goes to voicemail. Just as a side note, I cannot imagine what her dad felt like when he realized he missed a phone call from his daughter who was kidnapped. He gets the voicemail and immediately notifies Huntington police so that they can go get her. A neighbor lets her in the house while they wait. Now, Denise is very calm. She's not crying or appearing distressed. She's just waiting to talk to the police about her ordeal. Maybe she's one of those people who is just great under pressure, or maybe it's because she's still under the sedation and is not able to really appear animated. She's going to be with the Huntington police for a while, while until she's able to be transported 400 miles back to Vallejo. 
The Huntington police asked her about her time in captivity. She said she was treated fairly well, like she wasn't beaten or anything. They asked her if she was sexually assaulted, and she says no. Do you guys remember back quite a few videos of mine where I covered the Sherry Papini case? She was a mother who many believe faked her own kidnapping and returned unharmed. This is the direction that the police are taking this case. Vallejo police reveal they found no proof of a kidnapping and believe it was a hoax. They believe she made the whole thing up. Maybe Aaron was involved. Maybe he wasn't. They believe this whole story is just too dramatic and unbelievable for it to be true. How was she drugged, kidnapped, and then returned within 48 hours? No exchange of money. The police are angry that she wasted resources when it was all just a hoax. The main thing that set this off was Aaron's delay in calling emergency services. But as you remember, he was drugged and was being watched on camera. He didn't want to do anything stupid and have Denise get killed. It was his brother, who's an FBI agent, who convinced him to call the police. Denise, meanwhile, is scared out of her mind, even though she's been freed. Her captors are still out there. They may come back. They may attack, attack someone else. Denise's cousin, Nick, um, he had just recently passed his bar exam. Well, he meets with police to discuss Denise's rights and so on. Detective Mustard tells him they'll give immunity to whoever confesses first to making this whole thing up, be it Aaron or Denise. They're hoping one will turn on the other. Detective Mustard has denied making this statement. The FBI is there, and they tell Denise that they will fly her back home to Vallejo, 400 miles away, on their plane. Denise is getting this bad vibe that she may need to hire a defense lawyer because she fears they're not believing her. She quickly hires Doug Rappaport to represent her. He instructs her not to set foot on the FBI's airplane, but instead to take a commercial flight home. So Denise is sitting in this airport alone, waiting to catch a flight, and she's terrified that these kidnappers are going to find her and take her again. She's very paranoid. And I also find it disturbing that she's all alone in this airport. I mean, it's, she just seems like she's just so alone after being, you know, taken for 48 hours. You want to be surrounded with warmth and love. When Denise is back with her family and in Vallejo, she's met with reporters and people yelling that she's a fraud. They compare her to the character in the movie Gone Girl, which is a movie that came out a year prior in 2014. If you haven't seen the movie Gone Girl, I'd check it out. It's about a woman who stages her own disappearance. She makes it look like her husband killed her. He was cheating on her and she wanted to get back at him, so she stages this elaborate break-in and kidnapping. The Vallejo police are going to hold a news conference to alert everyone that Denise had been found. Everybody was excited because they finally have been waiting on an answer and the situation could have been turned out a whole lot worse. Lieutenant Kenny Park is their media spokesperson. He tells the press that they found no evidence of a kidnapping. In fact, these are his words, quote, Mr. Quinn and Ms. Huskins have plundered valuable resources away from our community and taken the focus away from the true victims of our community while instilling fear among our community members. So if anything, it is Mr. Quinn and Ms. Huskins that owe this community an apology, end quote. When Denise gets alone with her lawyer, she decides she is safe now and she wants to reveal what happened while she was captured. So do you remember me telling you that Denise was asked if she was sexually assaulted while being held? Well, she told the police that she wasn't. She claimed she had good reason not to tell them. One of her captors told her that she would need to have sex with him. 
The reason is that he wanted to film it because he needed to have something to hold against her. She has to look like she's enjoying it for the video, meaning she has to say certain phrases and act like she's the one who brought this on. If she tells anyone about this, the video will go on the internet and ruin her life and her career. She told the captor that she was assaulted when she was young and doesn't want to reopen all that trauma again, but her captor doesn't seem to care. He told her that he was part of a criminal organization that included three other members. Each individual was in charge of a different part of the operation. He says he was being instructed to make the recording as a form of collateral over her. Once complete, she is told it wasn't good enough and it has to be recorded again. She is instructed not to reveal that this act took place or that any of these men are Marines or they will publish this video. Her lawyer, Dan Rappaport, goes to the Vallejo police and reports that his client, Denise Huskins, was raped twice during the two days she was there. Aaron's lawyer was present, too. The next part is just horrible, and I'll be discussing victim blaming. One of the officers tells Denise's mother that it was possible she wanted to relive the event that happened to her as a child as a way to feel excitement. If I was her mother, I would have probably punched this cop in the face, even if it meant I'd be going to jail for years. What an absolute horrible thing to say. The Vallejo Police Department has denied this statement. Her lawyer is demanding that she be given a rape exam. They need to collect DNA, semen, and blood or whatever else. They also need to check for any genital injuries. This is precious time that is going away every minute you aren't examining her. Semen needs to be swabbed and tested. The Vallejo police tell her lawyer that Denise can just go home and they will do the exam tomorrow. Just don't take a shower and sleep in your clothes. Are you guys angry yet? Because I sure am. Denise is referred to as gone girl in the media. She is laughed at, ridiculed. People hate her for putting the police department through two days of searching for her when she made the whole thing up. What happens next, no one saw coming. The San Francisco Chronicle receives a message from the kidnappers who have been watching these reports on the news. They are upset because the police believe it's a hoax and they're blaming Denise. They, they're like, look, we're a sophisticated group of geniuses. Give us credit for what we did. She didn't make this up. We took her. They went into explicit detail about her time there and also a photo that was sent showed the room that she was being held in. You know it's bad when the kidnapper is the one telling the police, believe this woman and this man. We took her. Even with all this new evidence, Vallejo police still aren't buying it. Weeks pass. This was a real dark time for Aaron and Denise. They are afraid that their house will be broken into again by the kidnappers. They are reeling in PTSD from the whole event. Everybody hates them and calls them liars. As well, Aaron and Denise are close to losing their jobs as physical therapists. You can't be fired for that, but the employer can find one little thing to, to and use that to fire them. They don't want this drama, and it gives their business a bad look when they realize who their doctor is. Remember, they're being castrated all over the news, calling them liars and calling Denise Gone Girl. These two are the prime suspects in their kidnapping and may be facing criminal charges. They were constantly cyberbullied online and people saying that they wish she would have died. Denise said, referring to her kidnapping, quote, you go through something like that and every moment, every ounce of energy is about how do I live to see another second? That is all you can think about. The last thing you're thinking about is if I do survive, I need to make sure that I'm believable, end quote. But on June 5th, 2015, 
This is roughly two months since Denise was kidnapped. A break-in occurs in Dublin, California. This is about an hour from Vallejo. A couple is sleeping in their bed and awake to flashlights shining at them and a red laser pointer. Except this went a little differently than Denise and Aaron's event. The suspect begins to tie up the wife just like he did to Denise. The husband comes up behind and tackles him. The suspect tries to get away, but before he does, he takes a mag flashlight and hits the husband upside the head with it. The suspect then runs out of the house. During the fighting inside the house before the suspect ran out, he left an important piece of evidence behind. His cell phone fell out of his pocket and it was left in their house. The next day, police tracked down the house of the person that it belongs to. An older woman answered the door. She says, oh, yes, thank you. That's my son's phone. He just lost it yesterday. He's actually at our family vacation cabin in South Lake Tahoe area. The cell phone belonged to a man named Matthew Muller. Now, Matthew is not your average criminal. He was a U.S. Marine and graduated with honors from Panoma College in California. Then he went off to Harvard Law School. He worked as an immigration attorney. In 2015, he filed bankruptcy and was disbarred for failing to return $1,250 to a client when the court ordered him to for failing to provide proper representation. The officers arrive at the cabin and find Matthew Muller there. They found laptops, red laser pointers, stun guns, ski masks, swim goggles with duct tape blacking out the eyes, and other items that suggest that he had done this kind of thing before. Aaron's laptop was also found in the house as well. They also find the car sitting in the driveway was a stolen car. They check the GPS history of the car and see one of the locations was where he had dropped Denise off when they got rid of her near her mother's house. Well, there is an officer on this case named Misty Caruso, and she is one day away from becoming a detective. She went along for the ride to Matthew Muller's cabin. She picks up one of the swim goggles and sees a very long blonde hair stuck to the piece of duct tape. And she realizes that the two people who, whose house he had broken into last night, well, they both have dark hair. So where did this blonde hair come from? He's had someone here. Misty says, looking back at all the evidence, there was just no denying that this was his first time committing a crime. I just had to figure out where these other crimes occurred. She thinks back and remembers the Denise and Aaron case an hour away, and she makes the connection that this is the same man who kidnapped them. Misty does a search of Matthew's name and sees he was a person of interest in two other break-ins with attempted rape, but he was never charged. Misty called the Vallejo Police Department, and she's like, you guys are not not going to believe this. You know that man and woman who you accused of faking a kidnapping? Well, we have evidence here that they were telling the truth. Misty initially doesn't get an answer from anyone, but they eventually call her back. This has got to be the most incompetent police department I've ever seen. They told her to call the FBI. Well, two FBI agents and a representative from the Vallejo Police Department show up pretty quickly. Aaron and Denise's lawyers both call Aaron and Denise, and they are all celebrating the fact that now maybe someone will believe them and the person responsible will be held accountable for their actions. The lawyers hold a press conference and they tell the media that they are requesting a formal public apology to Denise and Aaron. 
Matthew Muller was charged with kidnapping. Now, because there was a ransom involved, it's a federal charge. If there wasn't a ransom involved, he would go to regular district court like most court cases are held in. He was not charged with raping Denise. The reason is because in federal court, there's no jurisdiction. Matthew pled guilty to kidnapping and was sentenced to 40 years. He eventually was charged in a different court for the rapes and the robbery. He pled not guilty to those charges and was found to be mentally incompetent to stand trial. Even though he was a decorated Marine officer and a lawyer who attended Harvard, for some reason he was mentally unable to stand trial. Today, Matthew is 45 years old and he's an inmate at Solano County Jail. He's in a treatment program in the care of MHM Services, a mental and behavioral health specialty uh, program that is funded through the government. As soon as Matthew is deemed competent by his doctors, he'll be scheduled to face further court proceedings. All the charges against him only stem from the Denise and Aaron case. He was never charged with anything else. Matthew was once a decorated Marine officer and a lawyer who graduated from Harvard. He kind of threw all that out the window when he decided to become a criminal. It may have been his recent disbarring and filing bankruptcy that led him to believe, fuck it, my life's over anyway. Denise and Aaron did not receive a formal public apology from the Vallejo Police Department. Instead, they received a letter written by the chief of police that said they were incorrect in their findings and realized now that this was not a hoax or an orchestrated event made up. They also referred to Lieutenant Kenny Park's remarks. You guys remember that public spokesperson, the one who said Denise and Aaron owe the city an apology? The letter read that those remarks were harsh and offensive. He also said the police department would issue a public apology once Matthew was indicted. You guys may be wondering why Denise and Aaron and their lawyers are so adamant about receiving a public apology. Well, the reason is because they have had their name disgraced in the media. They were on the verge of losing their jobs. They were ridiculed and called liars and everything they were saying was the truth. This would clear their names and people would see them as victims, which is what they are and not criminals. The Vallejo Police Department now have a, a new police chief named Sean Williams, who said what happened to Miss Huskins and Mr. Quinn is horrific and evil. As the new chief of police, I am committed to making sure survivors are given compassionate service with dignity and respect. Although I was not chief in 2015 when this incident occurred, I would like to extend my deepest apology to Ms. Huskins and Mr. Quinn for how they were treated during this ordeal. In 2016, Aaron and Denise filed a lawsuit against the city of Vallejos and its police department, as well as sp specific officers, I'm assuming Detective Mustard and Lieutenant Kenny Parks. There were a number of claims, most important being defamation of character. In 2018, they ended up taking a settlement for $2.5 million. Denise is quoted as saying, what happened to us should not happen to anyone. Victims should be protected in their time of need, not humiliated on a public stage. We hope that this settlement brings inspiration to others like us to speak up and keep fighting. Detective Mustard, you guys remember him, the one who interrogated Aaron for 18 hours. That same year, he was named Officer of the Year with a plaque and everything. I think if anyone deserves that award, it was the young female detective who discovered the long blonde hair and realized that this has happened before and made the connection. Since 2015, Detective Mustard has had allegations of racism and misconduct. 
Lieutenant Kenny Parks, who was the one who said in the press conference, I'll repeat it from earlier, Mr. Quinn and Mrs. Huskins have plundered valuable resources away from our community and has taken the focus away from the true victims of our community while instilling fear among the community members. Well, he left the Vallejo Police Department after all this. It appears a number of other officers resigned as well. Everyone's happy because the bad guy is put away, Denise and Aaron are financially compensated and don't have to worry about money for a long time. But do you guys remember there were others involved? Denise said there was at least two other sets of legs she saw. She had the blacked out swim goggles, but she could see a little bit at the bottom. No one else has ever been named or charged, and those folks are still out there. In 2018, Denise and Aaron married, and they had a daughter named Olivia. The cool thing is that Olivia was born five years to the day that Denise was released from her kidnapper. It's kind of like a way to look at this date as in a better way. Aaron still works as a physical therapist, but I don't know if Denise does or not. I do know she's a big victim's advocate right now, and the couple wrote a book called Victim F, From Crime Victims to Suspects to Survivors. That's it for this week. I appreciate you guys all listening, and I'm trying not to have things so far apart in these podcasts, but I really don't have a lot of time these days, so I'm trying to get what I can. So take care. Much love to you all.